Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, thank you, um, Pastor Amari, for reading the scripture and preparing our hearts for that. Um, I thank uh, our pastoral assistant, uh, Jacob Beach, for preaching last week for us. Thank you, Jacob. I heard it was great. I didn't have a chance to listen to it. And um, so it looks like um, y'all don't have long beaches. Is that right? Yeah. It's happening again. <laughs> One of our interns may be rolling out soon. Um, so we praise God um, for your faithful service. And we'll come back to that. This is not that Sunday, okay? But, um, yeah, so last week, um, just to let you know, um, I was gone for three different reasons. I'm on a number of boards, just so you know. Um, I'm on the advisory board for Gordon-Conwell um, Seminary here. I'm on the board of trustees at Covenant College. And I'm on the advisory board for our campus ministry, the National Office of Reform University Fellowship. So last week, I went to Reform University Fellowship board meeting. Then I went to Covenant College in Chattanooga for that meeting, for the board of trustees. And then after that, I preached at an RUF fall conference for colleges in Virginia and North Carolina. And I want you to know, um, I'm not saying all this to say, man, look how great your pastor is. I want you to know how incredible this church is. That people come to me and they ask me to be part of these committees and teams and boards and speak to us because of what God has done here at Christ Central. When I go to these meetings and I hear people and I talk to people, they're like, is this thing y'all have in Charlotte, is that thing real? Does it truly exist? We see you, but we haven't seen it. And I said, well, I've seen it, and it's real. And so I want you guys to know that what has happened here and the things that you guys bring to this church and the things that I learn from God through your lives and how you interact in community here, how you're obedient to the Holy Spirit to let him use you in this body, it benefits our whole denomination. It benefits the colleges. It benefits college students. It benefits um, th this, this nation. It benefits the kingdom. So I urge you, be encouraged, people. Be encouraged, Christ Central. Sometimes you sit in here, you're like, what in the world are we doing? What does this have to do with anything? It has to do with everything um, right now, especially um, in our country and what's going on and the disparity. And I'm like, you know what? At Christ Central, I got everybody up in this bad boy. On the right, on the left, on the up, on the down, we got it all. And it's amazing how the gospel works. So I just wanted to let you guys know um, I, I was exhausted last week from going on that trip, but I was encouraged by what God is doing here. Amen? I just wanted to share that with you. Um, so this passage uh, we are about to hear from this morning um, in our God's Reasons Why sermon series leads up to Jesus' final week before his death. And so the encounters Jesus has with people at this point in his ministry reveal with greater intensity what Jesus' death and resurrection would accomplish. Many of us have embraced the idea that Jesus came to die for those who are the obvious unrighteous and sinful 
suffering from the effects of sin, those in poverty, those in despair, those living under depravity. But, but I hope we'll also see today that his death and resurrection was, like we saw with Zacchaeus a couple weeks ago, that, is, uh, that his death and resurrection was and is able to free those who by their actions and results are revered in our world as secure and righteous and rich. And so I'll use word like, words like righteous, and righteous meaning um, your righteous standing before God by which you are acceptable to him and by him. I remember when we first, when we sold our first house in Atlanta. Remember that house on Commons Court, Kelly? Little three, two. We were so happy, you know? And we sold that house, and we were expecting to break even on the sale. We were just happy at that point. It wasn't like that big real estate thing some of y'all experienced today. And then our real estate agent came back and said, guess what? Y'all made a little money, right? It wasn't no kind of house money you used to make. And, you know, I think it was like $3,000, but boy, we were happy. I made what? $3,000? What? That was almost 20 years ago. Yes, hallelujah. We rich. Excited by our new wealth, I dashed over to Bank of America to deposit the checks with hopes of get, getting ahead with our new prosperity. We already had a plan for how we were going to use our $3,000 up in a couple of days. And everything was going great until they told me, Mr. Brown, there's going to be a hold on the check for five days. Huh? I need that money now. Probably were overdrawn. We needed that. I almost lost it up in there because I had $3,000, y'all. I went into the teller. I went in on the teller declaring my 10-year relationship with the bank. I at least, I mean, maybe I hadn't gone overdraft. I at least had $2 in there at the end of the month. They should be happy for my business. And they earned me. That should earn me the right to get my money deposited and credited that night. I explained my stellar history of never having to wait before. I wanted to see and know the rules because I knew I had upheld my part of the deal, and they were obligated, and this was before all the internet and all that kind of stuff, so you couldn't get stuff quick. They couldn't scan nothing. Wasn't none of that. Wasn't no apps. None of that. I want to tell them they were obligated to give me my check credit immediately. Yet she went on and on disclaiming my hopes and all the little writing with the impossibility of getting credit for the check for five days. And I had one card left. Y'all know what that is? Let me see the manager. <laughs> Move on. She says, I am the manager. Let me see Mr. Moynihan. Just kidding. Uh, All my hopes of credit fell to the ground. All this money that was earned for my investment, and it was no good today. My standing was not good enough with the bank to accept what I had earned. Like the rich young ruler in me that day, many have come to God, to this church, to Christianity, 
seeking to put what we have, what we have done and think we have earned and can do to work it, to use it to pursue a righteous standing before God, to, to gain a divine satisfaction. For some of us, to kind of use what we've earned on our own to gain a nirvana-sized happiness for the life we have, right? A life beyond this one, eternal life. We've come to cash in and gain God's favor and blessings for how well we've done and how well we can do with what he's given. What we see from this account is that God does have something better for you and me in and beyond this life. Better will mean, like he told and explained to the rich young ruler, that we must first attempt, abandon our attempts at self-righteousness. Secondly, we must abandon our attempts at a short righteousness. And finally, accept God's saving righteousness. Abandon self-righteousness, abandon short-righteousness, and accept God's saving righteousness. Look at verse 16 with me in chapter 19. It says, And behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, and by the way, Jesus got a huge crowd following him right now. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Immediately we see that this guy calls Jesus good teacher and then asked him what good thing he must do. We see Jesus ask the man, why do you ask me what is good? And the answer is not knowing that Jesus is Messiah, God in the flesh. The man is seeking Jesus as the person, right? The teacher who's mastered, who, who has the secret, who's got the hookup, right? Or the know-how to run game on what must be done to get eternal life, to be a spiritual heavy hitter like Jesus. This man seeks and sees Jesus not as if he, Jesus, was God. But, you know... The, the, the local uh, uh, curator and sensei on eternal life and the rich young ruler got to have that too. You know, that thing that's gotten Jesus a following and, and having him doing miracles and, and looks like God's really happy with him and he's going somewhere with this. At the very least, I want the same kind of confidence and leadership Jesus has that what he's doing now is going to get him something later. He is obviously a student of getting what he wants. And like any good business deal, he wants to know the equations. He wants the beats, right? He wants the steps. Maybe Jesus has a do-it-yourself book for him to read or a group of scriptures to study that will enlighten the young man to brilliance, to gain, gaining successfully what Jesus had or to put a little bit more shine on his already okay life. I remember... I was invited to a dinner, and I grew up having some of the best biscuits anybody could ever have. My mama could make some biscuits. She would get in there and just do it. Somebody would call her Aquinas. Her name was Laquinas. Okay, good Catholic family. Sir Tom. Okay, y'all get it. They Catholic and she black. Laquinas. Okay, y'all get it. <laughs> Praise God. I'm not ashamed. Black Catholics, Laquinas, go on. Aquinas, could you just mix up some 
biscuits real quick, and she would do it, and people would be like, what, raving over them biscuits? So I had a little dinner thing going on. You know, my friends had some girls coming over and all, whatever. And they were like, we're going to make some chicken. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make the biscuits. Yeah, oh, oh, is right. Because <laughs> I thought I could just call mama up. It was only, I had a couple hours before the thing was happening, an hour or so. Mama, hey, just give me the biscuit recipe. She's like, recipe, boy, ain't no recipe. <laughs> give me the steps, mama. Man, those are the hardest biscuits when I was done. Right? It didn't work. There aren't steps, right? That she had a relationship with her ingredients. <laughs> she can make them do what she wanted. I couldn't. My stove was all hot. You know, I had the wrong kind of flour. The butter wasn't. She had a relationship with her thing. She was those biscuits. You know, people say you put your foot in it. She put her life in it. She was the life of what I wanted. And so this rich young ruler is looking to Jesus to give him the steps, the tricks of the trade, the shortcuts of being self-righteous, a do-it-yourself righteousness. In other words, show me what and how you do it, Jesus, so that I can do it for myself. The goal of his do-it-yourself righteousness is the man's desire to better and make himself secured for heaven, for eternal happiness. He is sitting down with Jesus like we would with our investment or retirement guy. Let me give you this much money a month. Let me do this, and then maybe in the end, Lord, I can retire heaven size, right? We see this because he's ignoring God's power in the equation. Tell me what good thing. Not, hey, show me how God's going to make me like this. He's not seeking to be consumed or subjugated or given over to something bigger than himself to be made better. He's wanting to, just like he does everything in his life, control it and earn it and deserve it, to have righteousness as his dessert, his prize, the investment result of all he has and done, the big payout, the big payoff for being a good and moral person as a man who seeks to attain things as he has successfully. Eternal life becomes another certificate on the wall of great accomplishment accomplishments that he can just show God in the end and cross on over. Unfortunately, you know, I thought about it. Maybe he just wants to be able to put the fish symbol on his business card's a website, right? He, he just want to be holy enough. Fortunately, we, especially those of us who are overachievers and hard workers and successful and privileged, of course, because of your hard work, let me throw that in there, for what you get and enjoy. We have a tendency to take on our relationship with the God of the Bible like adding a shine on an already good pair of shoes that you've worked extremely hard for. Or putting a gold pin on the lapel of an already pretty distinguished suit that you've worked hard to be able to put on and wear. We're going to God to just Add a little goodness on top of what we've already done, the spiritual bling-bling to accompany our already pretty good life choices. Or just, we just need to get a little Ted Talks from Jesus. Right? Just a little daily boast of, of, of inspiration from God to help us through, you know, something we can put on a frame and be like, I'm feeling tired, let me look at my positive thought frame, Right? Like, this rich young ruler is approaching Jesus like many of us, that all we need from Jesus, from the preacher's words, from this church experience, are the feel-good tricks 
the lingo, the tools to give just enough to adjust who we are to, or to justify how we are living. And so we have embraced God as a thing all good, hardworking people do, especially in Charlotte. Everybody go to church. Now, that's beginning to be less and less. And the idea of what church is is less and less. So I don't know what people are doing. What you going to, church? That ain't church, right? But as part of the good family resume, part of your heritage, you have to eventually settle down and get it right. So why not pick up the religious thing? Now, sometimes I wonder if we could just Amazon Prime or app God stuff, we would do it. You know, I was, okay, I don't want to get too deep in it, but we were t- I was reading this thing about con- consumerism in our country and how Amazon separate, sep- has separated us from the product. We are used to getting something in a brown box, but we don't know who actually made it. We don't care, right? It just, it's the thing, right? We're separated from the person it actually comes from. We don't care how it was made or whether it was good or bad or somebody died and trying to make it. We order it and it comes. There's no more local connection with anything. Only if God's eternal life could arrive in a brown box or pop up on my phone or I could order it ahead exactly to show up two days, right, when I think I need it. And while many of us approach Jesus seeking to add success to already successful lives, others of us are looking to better ourselves. Now, this is on the opposite side of rich young ruler, are seeking to better ourselves because life has been so disappointing. Oh, this is a hard one. You've lived a pretty hard life. Maybe you've stepped on and used people. You've got a pretty messed up life. Maybe you've slept around or been slept around on. I have, or you have emotional problems or you're guilty or you're looking to get yourself out of what you've gotten yourself into. You're here because you want the key. You want the stuff. You want the ring to self-heal your immorality. Maybe you feel bad about your sexual appetite or your racism. Maybe you got parent and family issues. You think if you could only just get the tool to fix it. Give me the directions, Jesus. Because I am messed up, teacher Jesus, good teacher Jesus. Many of us are on a crusade to justify and make the world righteous. It's so messed up right now, right? We just want some justice jargon and inspiration. And Jesus, you know what? He's right up there with Gandhi and MLK. He's pretty good. And so we have a fervor to get the moral teachings of how to be better and make things better. And it's the true reason some of us are so heavily involved. We are looking for a self-righteousness, a to do it yourselves, yourselves righteousness, to like this rich young ruler, get what it takes to better yourself and y'all selves by yourselves and y'all selves. But like the rich young ruler finds out, there is no true resolution or assurance or security in self-righteousness, but only a short righteousness. Marked by discontent and a thirst for more more than you and I could provide for ourselves, we must abandon our attempts at short righteousness. Look Look what happens next in verse 17. 
So it says here, and he said to him, why do you ask me, Jesus talking here, uh, what, about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, eternal life, enter life rather, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? <laughs> and Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear witness, bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Right? So let's just stop there. So Jesus tells the young man, um, hold on, let me see, let me read the rest of this. He says, the, and the young man said to him, um, all these I have keep, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus tells the young man to do the commandments and the rich young man tells on himself, doesn't he? Admitting an imperfect righteousness before God by asking Jesus what? Which ones, Lord? You don't ask God which ones. All of them, man. Where's your kid? Here's your chores. Mom, dad, which ones? Ain't no which ones. Which classes do I have to be do well in, mom and dad? Which ones? <laughs> See, this rich young ruler is not seeking to be, and obviously not by asking the question. He hasn't lived perfectly, perfectly righteous. He knows this, but is willing to, to do just enough of what it takes to get him the assurance of being an okay dude in the world. He is all about a show, y'all. He's, he's about a performance of a life. And so he is admitting, I do what it takes to get by and get ahead and not get caught up in some kind of scandal to run my business clean and not get tripped up and be nice and not mean and get along with everybody. I got this, Jesus. You know, dog. You know what I mean, man. We understand how it works. Look, all these people following you. You're getting by too, Lord. And knowing the man is seeking self-made righteousness, Jesus gives him, listen to the commandments. He, he only gives him half the commandments, doesn't he? See, Jesus gives him the performance, people-pleasing, still possible to, be, possible to be a hypocrite, self-righteous commandments. And this dude falls for it, admitting that he has done these and still asks Jesus, what do I still lack? And Jesus catches him with the answer, doesn't he? If you want to be perfect, then sell all your possessions to the poor, right? Come and follow me. You know what Jesus did? He called the rich young ruler out on his game. The young ruler has no idea what eternal life is about really. So he doesn't truly want the eternal life Jesus has been preaching about. He wants to be perfect or rather be seen and accepted as perfect enough to earn and get it because it's gotten him this far, not this far by faith, but this far by his performance, by his awards, by his accolades, being unbreakable and impenetrable and not being found poor or wanting or needy, but without flaw, then he would be that much more acceptable and secure to others and himself and a distant third to the Lord. 
Hear me. Eternal life, the gospel, Christianity, it's not about securing something for yourself. It is about being saved by someone from yourself. If you can get it by yourself, right, for yourself, just by reading this Bible, you you can just kind of do it. Good chance. No, actually, no chance that's eternal life you're getting. What God has for human beings in this life is it is not what Jesus is offering if you can just take his words and get it and you're not in here worshiping, saying crown him along with it. That's not eternal life. You see, the rich young ruler went away sad, the Bible says, sorrowful in your translation. Because he realized that that he could not be perfect. If being perfect, hear me now, if being perfect meant becoming and admitting imperfection. Get that? If being perfect means admitting imperfection and needing it, neediness, which giving up his rich and place in life would have made him look. Understand, Jesus is not saying give all to the poor and that's it. He is, his giving his riches to the poor would make him look like he had done something wrong and had to do reparations. He don't want to look guilty, right? It, it would mean stepping down. Like, so, I gotta, I'm just letting all my people know, I, I, I gotta, I, I gotta resign. What happens when, when a leader says, I got to resign for personal reasons? You give your money, not just give it. You know, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to give it to the organization with a little stamp on it so I can get a tax break. No, it ain't that kind of philanthropy Jesus is telling him to do. Give it to the poor as if you did something wrong in your wealth, right? It, it kind of shows some imperfect thing. And then stepping down in this world is like some sort of scandal. And then following Jesus meant he couldn't run his own life. He had lost his mind, but had to now trust someone else to lead him that he would have to give up everything that made him worth something in this life. It would make him a sinner. You see, what Jesus in in his interaction with the rich young ruler is trying to teach us is that the perfect candidate for eternal life is an admittedly imperfect person, a broken person. On the Christian rapper's Lecrae's new album, he has a song that says, Being broke made me rich. The the riches of God's eternal life are not for the successful performers or for the ambitious. I'm sorry, y'all. The moral or those liked by everybody, but for the broke and rejected. He couldn't do it. He had to walk away. Before we get too happy in here about the wrong thing, see what happened to rich ruling people? Mm -hmm. The privilege, see? I did this when I read it. I'm like, good thing I ain't rich. I'm in. Life Flynn, right? You know what a rich young ruler is? The human race. 
that has yet to know and be embraced by what Jesus came to do. And the sad piece, oh, this rich, rich young ruler is like, we Americans in the American dream. I love the American dream, y'all. Don't get me wrong. I'm patriotic. I love the American dream. I'm driven by it. I've been driven by it for a long time. I'm, I'm no different than y'all. But I was reading a book. I don't recommend it if you want to feel good about yourself or keep pretending. But I'm reading a book right now or listening to a book. It's hard for me to read a book. I have to listen to it as I drive. Wholeheartedness by Chuck DeGroat. Wholeheartedness, subtitle, Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self. He's a clinician, one of them counseling dudes most of us try to stay away from. And he talks about the sheer rat race and performance driving sadness, sorrowful, just like in the scripture, caused by living, trying to be rich and ruling, trying to be perfect in ways to, to cover your shame and brokenness, or, or, you, or, or you, you, you trying to outrun and get away from being shamed and broken. And he revealed, according to the UN study of happiness, that the United States is not in the top five. All our technology, all our Amazon, all our stuff, all our great homes. Look, I don't want to give up none of that. I like having water to drink from, right? I, I, I mean, I, tr truly, I like getting gas in my car. I, I mean, I'm not, I like nice roads to ride on. Don't get me wrong, y'all. But none of those things, none of those advances, none of our health systems, none of having the best doctors and the best colleges and all that kind of stuff, according to the study, equals happiness. I bet the UN study would reveal that we, like the rich young ruler, are truly sad. When someone uncovers it, like Jesus did this guy, we walk away and live busy, exhausted, and sad. And we'll walk away from Jesus' rest and thus away from anything that reveals our soul's poverty. Because like him, we can't handle seeing ourselves or being like that. Like the rich young ruler that if I were to tell you and us Americans that we have confused life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with actually having it. Right? That, 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 that trying to be a good person is not the same as actually being one in God's eyes. Right? And, and all that we put in getting it and being it will not actually give it to us or get us there. What are we doing I had to ask myself as I was looking at this passage, oh, sorry, all the, rule, all the stuff that went in your life to make you acceptable, I mean, four, I mean, 80 hours of your week have nothing to do. Like, aren't the thing that's going to get you into heaven. What? Then what are we doing? You can never get to eternal satisfying life and all that you exhaust yourself for. Like the rich young ruler, it will be a sad day for all of us to realize that what the God who created us and has available for us is not the result of all we have put our sweat and tears and honor into. You're never going to get it or be all that God has for you. 
you'll never be perfect enough. You know what the American dream is? The ability to get on the treadmill to reach it. <laughs> we on the treadmill. Yes. Whew, it's great. What if you had to go to the gym every day, but you never get to look in the mirror and enjoy it? What does it mean? I'm fit. Why? Because I never leave the gym. <laughs> and Jesus says this after the man walked away. Let's, let's keep going here. Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God, sorry, different translation. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Jesus is saying exactly what he means. Oh, what he really, no, he's saying exactly what he means. Those who have lived a life rewarded in this world, able to cover and recover their imperfections and brokenness and gain acceptance, albeit bought or performed, will have a hard time believing they need anything more. But more than that, will have a hard time seeing all they have and are as nothing, unnecessary and not very impressive to God or impressive enough for God to receive and accept them or, or that they already have God's blessing, they believe, and they are already favored now. The Bible even, Bible even tells us that the devil, right, Satan, that our sinful hearts will take material wealth and worldly glory and honor and rat race living to blind and darken us to the truth. It's just how it works, y'all. If you're rich, if you're privileged, if you're good at what you're doing, if you're above the, the water, right, you, you just, you're just above it all, guess what? There's a good chance you could be and are blinded by the devil and sin. Just like being poor and marginalized has its downside, guess what? Being rich and ruling has downsides too spiritually. I hinted at this in last week's sermon in, this, in our series on, when we did Zacchaeus. But if you're wealthy and successful or in positions of honor or privilege in this world and are a believer, you know what I realize? Those of us who are like that should be the most snotty, nose-crying, hand-raising, jumping up and down, running and generous for Jesus people in the world that you could be because it is a miracle. Right? He said, with great difficulty, do the competent and privileged and rich and smart and able to manage their lives enter the kingdom. You should be jumping up and worshiping God. Hallelujah. I can't believe I'm in the kingdom. God brought some of us elite through the eye of a needle, y'all. You barely made it in. You shouldn't be here. You should walk away. But this is more than being wealthy because we are all rich in some way. Let me say this. What would and does make you okay? If there was no Jesus in heaven, where would you be okay? That's where your wealth and rule is. Right? Okay, what exhausts you? What are you willing to be exhausted by to hold on to? 
Like, like what, what makes you sweat to get it and keep it? Maybe it's a secret about yourself. You're really good at holding on to secrets, of covering it up. Maybe it's your ability to control people's perception of you. You are an awesome manager of people's expectations. Maybe you're an incredible performer in some way, and you're outrunning something that happened in the past or some way your parents treated you. You are great at it. Maybe, right? You, 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 you are a master of the mask. Right? You, you know how to cover up pretty good. That takes some talent. Trust me. It's exhausting. Maybe it's your profession or where you graduated from. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe you have a romantic interest that's making you feel real good right now or that you can eat well or are super fit or have a nice house or good at something. Or maybe it's your grade at school or expression of your personal sexuality in some way or your morality. Maybe you're just a good person and everyone goes around saying they're such a good person. Think about the thing that would devastate and make you saddest if you could no longer have it or control it or make you feel good about yourself. That is what Jesus is asking the rich young ruler for, and that's what Jesus is asking you and me to go broke for and broken to give up and over to his rule. And so his disciples asked the question in verse 25. I did. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. What? You got to be tripping Jesus right like that. Who can then be saved? They were astonished, y'all. Jesus said this because I think they kind of get it. They get no human being in their right mind. Gives up what gives them the greatest sense of worth. No one can take off all their mask on their own or even want to and give up their quan, right? Or, or let their guard down or give up their dreams or their performance or even what might exhaust them and wear them down. No one can give up that boyfriend. Come on, man, that girl. I mean, I'm in love now. Are you crazy, Jesus? Or that house. Oh, my gosh, how hard we work for houses. Or that job or whatever. No one can be that perfect. What God wants and requires to be saved and be his people is too much. It's impossible. People will only walk away very sad from Jesus. We see this every day. They walk away sad from the gospel. We are sinners and he's the only savior of sinners. And what do we do? We walk to a place, to a preacher, to a church that I tell us what Jesus isn't. You can be happy. That's what it's about. Jesus didn't come to consume you. No. He came just to be a little light in the darkness. He's a street light. He ain't a raging fire, right? And Jesus answers them with this popular phrase in the Bible, verse 26. With man, this is impossible. And Jesus looks at them, right? I love this because the rich young ruler walked away and said, but he got these disciples following him. And he looks at them. Hey, y'all, right? You, with man, this is impossible. Well, with God, all things are possible. 
And look what Peter says in verse 27. Then Peter said, said in reply, we've left everything to follow you. What will be left for us? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have, who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Y'all don't have that verse. Okay. Jesus is basically saying, it will be impossible to become rich in the way God would have us to be on our own. We will only end up sad and empty to run and fill and be happy and please God on our own in this life. But there's a place and an opportunity where we will become rich rulers in the next life. You will become all that you exhaust over and lose sleep over and are sad about not having or possibly losing this life. You will finally be all, and guess what, more of what God originally created you to be, perfected by Jesus' human beings, you will finally make it. But he threw this word in there that changes everything. You'll have to inherit it. Do you see the contrast the, 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 between the rich young rulers asking for in verse 16? He wants to have it. He wants means to possess it. He wants to buy it. He wants to gain it. He wants to get it. And Jesus is teaching, guess what? You have to inherit it. Jesus is teaching it is impossible to get, gain, earn, buy, give up enough, keep enough, be smart enough, right? All you, or ha, give all your attempts at eternal life. You must, no, you have to have the, you, you have the opportunity to let your exhausting and empty attempts go and finally inherit all that you sweat and exhaust for on this side that only can be gained on that side. What Jesus is calling rich young ruler now us is in all that you have and don't have. There is one richer in all the ways you try to be and more worthy and more able to run your life in all the ways you may be stellar. And one who loves your life and can get more out of this life for your life than you could ever get, y'all. There is one who can make the rightest and not right enough finally righteous and is perfect before the Lord. The picture of the rich young ruler is a picture of our failed attempt to be and get and hold and gain for ourselves and all that we should be in this life for happiness right and right standing before God, righteousness. But it also shows us the redeeming work of Jesus. What he told the disciples and a rich young ruler tells us is true. In order to get eternal life and be perfect, you have to give up all you have. Give it to the poor and undeserving, right? And follow him. You realize there's more than one rich young ruler in this story? And he's the one who matters the most? See, Jesus is the rich young ruler, except he's the one who succeeded for us, y'all. He's the king of creation, holding all power in his hand. 
And he came to conquer our hearts, to, without our permission, break through our defenses and pass our mask, right? All that makes us rich and in control. And he gets behind us and he gets in us. He did what the rich young ruler and you and I were powerless to do. He was perfect before God out of pure and true love for God and others. And unlike what the rich young ruler couldn't do, he gave the glory of his appearance coming in the flesh, giving the possessions of his exaltation and submitted himself to the miseries of the world we had created with our sin. And you know what he did with his righteousness? He became sin for us and he gave to those of us who were poor, those who had squandered all they had, those who were morally bankrupt, who took our bankrupt status and gave us the righteousness that we did not earn, but he earned through his death. He brought undeserving people into the lineage of his wealth so that we could inherit his riches, his righteousness, so that we could be all that we can't be in this life. And now we stand rich in the imputed righteousness before God that Christ gave us. Jesus, the rich young ruler, gave and gained and holds all so that we can be righteously rich, so that we will rule with him one day as a member of his kingdom in eternity. And on even now on earth, we no longer have to depend on our imperfect performance sad and exhausting attempts, but trust in his perfect administration of righteousness and love for us. Close with this. I might have done this, told y'all this illustration before. But this rich man had an auction. He died. Everybody wanted that man's stuff. Finest furniture. Had cars out there. He had like one of those six-car garages. All kind of stuff. So the richest and wealthiest came out. Ready with their money. Ready to roll. And the first thing for auction was a picture. Kind of a corny looking picture of a young kid, right? Just a young man. He says, first thing for auction, $100. People were like looking past that, looking at them cars. And they kept going down, $50, $40. When it got down so low, one old man in the back row raised his hand and said, I'll take it. Just so the auction can continue, man. Just give us a dollar just so we can exchange it. All right, then we can really, and people are like, yes, finally that dumb picture's gone. And as soon as the man paid his dollar, Auction mayor said, auction's over. See, this picture is a picture of the old man's son. It was written in his will that whoever would get the son would get everything else. We are coming to God and before God and others seeking righteous credit and esteem with an imperfect resume a mile long 
God wants to give us the benefits and love and joy of his eternal kingdom, of his eternal life that you'll never get on your own. And your richness won't buy you. If you got the son and the son's got you, you can inherit all God has for you. Everything, y'all. Everything prepared for you that you deep down long for. If you have the Son, you got it all. Come to Christ. Return to Christ. Get off the treadmill. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We got Christ. He got us. Brought in relationship with him. We have eternal life. We get to inherit it. Help us, Lord. We slip. We live in this world. Stuff happens. We forget. We live in the American dream rat race. We forget. Remind our hearts. Refresh us, Lord. Even free us from the exhaustion that we experience every day. By knowing what it means to be an inheritor of eternal life. For those of out here who don't know you, Lord, they're exhausted. Lord, I pray that you would help us, the ones who don't know you, to, to be in touch with that exhaustion, with that striving for something they can never get. Open their eyes, conquer them, Lord, like a rich young ruler. Rule over their hearts, Lord, and do the impossible. Bring them to yourself. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.